You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. I'm Adam Rissman, Content Marketing Manager at Intercom. Welcome to the Inside Intercom podcast, a show all about learning how to build better products and businesses through conversations with leaders in the worlds of design, product management, startups, marketing, and more. This week, I'm excited to introduce an interview between Intercom's own director of product design, Emmett Connolly, and Val Head, a web and UI animation design specialist. In the time between her consulting work, teaching animation workshops, and curating her UI animation newsletter, Val recently took a stab at writing the canonical book on her trade. Titled Designing Interface Animation, it's available now through her publisher Rosenfeld, Amazon, and more places where books are sold. In her chat with Emmett, Val shares her take on the importance of incorporating motion into brand guidelines. I think motion, when you consider it as like an extension of your brand and part of the overall design package, becomes a really great way to differentiate yourself. The fundamental differences in designing animation for desktop versus touchscreen. There are different expectations. Like if you're creating like a drag and drop interaction where that could be touch or mouse, whatever, when people are kind of like directly manipulating a thing, there's more of an expectation for that kind of real-time feedback. And where designers can get started with animation. Often what I recommend to people, especially people who aren't into coding things up themselves or aren't comfortable with coding stuff themselves, is, is to try to have like one tool you're really fast in, and that might be Keynote or something, one that you can just like rough out ideas super fast. It's a high-level look at how to ultimately bring motion into your product's landscape. And with that, let's hand things over to Emmett in the studio. It was apparently David Byrne who coined the fairly immortal quote, writing about music is like dancing about architecture. That's definitely true. And yet here we are on a podcast and today we're going to take a a stab at talking about animation. So over the past decade or so, animation has definitely grown in in importance and in prominence in the design process. And today is is certainly a major part of most uh, digital products. It's a topic with a rich and and well-documented history and massive cultural significance in other media, yet many of us digital designers remain pretty uh, under-informed on the craft of animation. So we're extremely fortunate that joining me today, we have the perfect person to talk about this type of thing, Val Head. Val, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. So to start with, could you maybe just give us a quick rundown of your career trajectory and in particular, I suppose, where you found your passion for animation? Right, right. Well, I I guess I sort of discovered animation in a strange place. Um, I was taking an animation workshop in university and the instructor showed us Flash and we learned how to do Flash animation for like six weeks. And right near the end, I got to this point where I was like, hey, so like, what if I wanted this animation to do one thing one time and a different thing the other time? Like, do I have to make all of these frames and do it all by hand? And they're like, no, there's this thing called action script and you can write code to make things on the screen move around and that was kind of like a life-changing moment for me where I was like you can do what (laughs) like you can make animation how (laughs) why did no one tell me this before (laughs) I I had a similar uh, experience I plowed many 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 hours uh, of my life into action script and I'll Mm -hmm. never have them back but yeah. uh, it is a valuable uh, certainly a valuable base for thinking about motion in digital products right 
Right, right. And I mean, I got a, into flash work a lot. Um, some of my earlier, my, my first agency jobs were all doing, you know, flash design. Um, and oftentimes I was kind of like the weirdo web standards person in the flash shop who like thought we should actually make good websites as opposed to just like show off and do weird stuff. So there's always this like tension in my career where I like, I really loved the creativity and the open world that like flash gave you and the things you could do with it. But I also felt like maybe it's not really playing nice with the web browsers and maybe we should do something about that. So I was always kind of like that person fighting for the best of both worlds. Uh, and then once, you know, Steve Jobs killed Flash and <laughs> <laughs> I love summarizing it that way. <laughs> After that happened and then like web animation finally kind of came into its own and became a real tool we could use. I was like, this is the best. This is exactly what I've been waiting for. You know, we can do animation. We, we can do it well and, and make new things with it while also being like truly part of the web. You know, to steal a phrase from Jeremy Keith, like we can now make animation that is of the web, not just on the web. And I think that's so amazing and so exciting that um, I just can't stop talking about it. <laughs> right, absolutely. I mean, uh, going back to the Flash thing, it seems like it was maybe the, the introduction to animation on the web or digital animation for a lot of people but seemed to be in many ways for its own sake you had the typical flash intro type thing mm -hmm. that was ubiquitous for a while but now yeah. today fast forward to today and motion and animation seem to be much more of a used as a solution to problems right rather than a thing almost just for its own sake do, do you feel like animation is entering kind of a new phase or, or do you think it's still seen as an add-on in some senses I think we've realized that the skip intro era was not such a hot idea, which is good. Uh, I see occasionally see sites kind of going back to that, but no one quite as crazy as like, I mean, flash intros at their peak were pretty ridiculous, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. as I'm sure you remember. As, but there was also a lot of things we did with Flash. Like, that's kind of what Flash is remembered for. But people did some really beautiful interactions and just, like, lovely art-directed sites with motion with Flash, too. And I'm glad that we're kind of going more towards that angle. We're, we're, we, we seem to have, like, realized the skip intros were a terrible idea um, and, and, and tried to find more of a utility for animation, give it more, like really making it more of a proper citizen in our design toolbox, right? Like we're starting to think about it more like we do with type and color where we want it to have meaning, we want it to, to fit. And I think that's where we're going to get much more interesting animation and much more beautiful animation. You know, mm. like that's where I think some of the best flash work did that too, where it was like used animation, but in a way that wasn't like, hey, watch our intro because no one wants to do that. Right. So right. Uh, I, I think one of the big reasons it, it does get overlooked maybe is just the fact that we have so little background in it as web designers, you know, like we are like, Hey, cool. We could animate stuff with CSS and things. Uh, now what? Right, right. <laughs> you know? Or we'll, we'll, a lot of times I see, you know, work where people are just like, Oh, we should transition this. So they put a transition on it and then they're just kind of like, good, it's done. And, and never consider it further. And I, I think that's the kind of thing of like really considering the why and what it's doing and, and why it looks the way it does. That's the key to like pushing web animation forward, I think, and making, um, at least on the design side, like making things that are new and interesting and that will be unique to the web and the way the, the web works because it is a unique space. Mm -hmm. That that sort of, I guess you would call it somewhat naive approach to animation that you just described. <laughs> you also see that, though, in other aspects of design, right? I mean, you can yep. see that applied to visual design where trends and fashions come and go without really mm -hmm. um, 
much thought being put into the why of it. Do, do you think that same thing around around trendiness um, applies to animation? Are there certain things that are overused in animation? Yeah, I think a lot of why people are paying attention to animation right now is a bit to do with trends, which is cool in a way because I'm glad people are paying attention to it. Uh, and I think a big trend with animation right now is the whole idea of like material design and their motion guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, material design has some really strong opinions on animation and how it should be used. And, and I think web designers are really drawn to that because it's often the first exposure they've had to like rules for designing animation you know everyone's kind of mostly been at that point of like i put a transition on it Mm -hmm. uh (laughs) and the material design comes along and they're like oh wow there's rules to this there's like things i should be doing um but what gets lost a lot of the time when material design becomes so much has become so much of this trend is like google wrote that for branding google things And, and when you use material design the motion part or any other part of it, and I mostly see the motion bits coming up when, when cause I talk about animation a lot. It's like when you use that on things that aren't Google, you're kind of like using Google's branding on a thing that is not Google. And that's kind of weird. Like material design is Google's opinion on motion. It's Google's branding opinion on motion. It's not like a de facto standard of how motion should happen so i think that's kind of right now that's a trend because it's there and it's easy to find and easy to see and i'm hoping that as we do more animation on the web people will start moving away from material design for all of their motion decisions and kind of get comfortable making their own animation decisions and and having their own opinions on what makes good animation and and what makes good interactive animation you know all those same things material design has opinions on i'm hoping people will start kind of forming their own instead of relying on that so much Mm, that's really interesting. It's it's almost like people are using the material design motion guidelines as a as an introduction to animation oh, uh, right, thing, yeah. right? Rather than a specific uh, instance of how design motion branding, I guess, should be done. So, do you see it as a thing of people like taking it past, maybe just uh, echoing something that Google is doing and creating their own motion brand guidelines? How do people even go about thinking, starting to approach a problem like that? I think people should definitely be thinking about creating their own motion guidelines. And like, it doesn't have to be a giant, huge, public, you know, beautiful thing like material design. It doesn't even have to be something you make like gorgeous and share. Like any kind of documented consideration of of animation can count as motion guidelines, right? Like something you share with your team of like, here's the values we have around animation and, and what we want to do with animation. Like that totally counts as motion guidelines. It's just, those are yours. Mm. And, and, you know, that's a start for anything. And whether you document it and, you know, make it public, that's a whole other deal. Um, you know, the thing is, is like every brand and every product has a point of view, right? Like it has a personality. It has something it's trying to say. It has something that makes it unique. And, and I feel like that should be reflected in all the design efforts, you know, and the animation they use, of course, but in the overall design approach. Like that's how we create like unique experiences and not just remix what every other website has done before. I think motion, when you consider it as like an extension of your brand and part of the overall design package becomes a really great way to differentiate yourself. And, you know, if that's what you want to use it for, you should definitely not just be copying material design. You should have your own opinions. Um, Right, and and right. like you said, like material design can be a great place to start. You can be like, do I agree with Google? And there's maybe things you don't agree with Google on. Good for you. Go with that. You know, it's like there we need to have our own our, kind of our own take on this stuff. And it's it's hard when it's new to you because you sort of feel like you need permission to do that. 
One thing I wanted to ask you about was workflow. It's, it's interesting to talk about material design so much because I actually worked on the Android team while material design was being put together and worked oh, with cool. some of the great motion designers that were there. And there was incredible work done. But one thing that really I was struck by at the time was the lack of really good tooling to support this work being done. And so something that was a real sticking point in the actual workflow of, of mm -hmm. translating these ideas into real products was just uh, the tools that would, say, bridge the gap between something like After Effects and something that engineers could work with to actually implement those ideas, those motion ideas. And it just involved an awful lot of um, manual labor, basically, of like <laughs> motion designers and engineers sitting down beside each other. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Where are we at in terms of toolkit around, you know, actually getting this stuff into our products? Are, are there any interesting resources that you're aware of? It's, it's interesting that you that you, um, you know, mentioned that whole After Effects and developers stuff, because I think it's really great to hear that even the folks who worked on material design had that problem. Because right. I know a lot of people I talk to when I teach workshops on motion design and, and web animation, like that's a thing that they're like, how do we do this? So now I can tell them, don't worry, even material design ran into this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, even that team. And, and it's true. There, there aren't a lot of really good tools to get us from that visual like timeline-based animation and the very visual looking at it and, and translating that to code, especially translating that into code that engineers would be happy to put in the final product, right? Like that's kind of the extra edge there. Um, I, I think this is why we are seeing so many new animation prototyping tools hit the market. Like I, I like to joke in workshops that like there's a new one every day. That's only a slight exaggeration sometimes. Like it really feels like there is, you know, we have like Flinto and, and Pixate and principal and framer and uh, I can't even list them all like there's so many and I think all of that software is trying to fill that gap of like how do we make this transfer better um, and I'm not sure anyone's got it right yet but there are so many options maybe there's you know one of these works better for your team than the whole AE to you know figuring it out from code um, one thing I would suggest to people is especially if you're using something like After Effects and you're kind of handing off these videos it's really hard for engineers to look at a video and just like magically figure out the timing and easing and right. like delays and stuff you've used. It's really helpful to at least like write that down somewhere, you know, write down what kind of um, easing curves you use. I guess in After Effects, it would mostly be cubic Bezier type curves or, you know, what kind of timing you had actually giving that stuff to the person who's going to build it. They will, they'll be much happier. Mm. Mm. <laughs> It'll save them a lot of time, but there is no perfect tool for that yet. I think a lot of people are trying to bridge that gap. And um, the good thing of having so many people trying is like, we'll get a good solution. One of these is going to come out ahead. But right now we're kind of in the wild west of animation prototyping tools. I have, I have to say I totally agree. And, and part of me even wonders if that multiplicity of options around tools is even holding some people back in some sense because you know as designers you have to invest to truly master one of these tools you have to invest a lot of time and even at the highest level like some of them are timeline based some yep. of them are code based some of them are these kind of boxes that you connect with noodles and so it's it, there are many questions right what's the best tool for the job what's the one mm -hmm. that might fit into my workflow with my team the best uh, what's the one that's easiest to learn based on what I know already <laughs> Do you do you have any like recommendations or you know do you see anything emerging as as clear victors in 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 that competition in some sense? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely have some recommendations for people because I get that question a lot of just like, there are so many, what do I do? And I'm like, I totally understand. <laughs> I feel your pain here. Um, one place I, I suggest a lot of people start is Keynote, believe it or not, um, because for most people working on Macs, you can get it for free. It has um, some pretty handy animation tools like Magic Move especially. And the overall metaphor that Keynote uses for motion and and yeah, basically creating motion through Magic Move and stuff is really similar to how a lot of the more powerful and expensive prototyping tools work. So I feel like if you start there, Keynote's very good for some very basic prototyping. You can learn it really quick. You can get really fast at it. And you'll probably very quickly run into the things you wish it had. Then you can use that list of things you wish mm. Keynote would do that it doesn't to figure out which tool might be best for you. You know, like something like Principle is very visually timeline based or something like um, Origami is very like, like you said, that kind of like noodles and boxes set up. Um, you can kind of get an idea of what you feel is missing and, and what you want. Um, I think that's kind of an easy, cheap way to do it. Uh, but, you know, easier than trying out every single one. And uh, often what I recommend to people, especially people who aren't into coding things up themselves or aren't comfortable with coding stuff themselves, is, is to try to have like one tool you're really fast in. And that might be Keynote or something, one that you can just like rough out ideas super fast and then have another tool where you can get more specific because where tools like Keynote you can be fast in. But like if you want to really look at your easing and like really fine tune that, you can't because it just doesn't have the options. But something more like Framer or, you know, Principle, you can get deep into the weeds on, on your easing and create custom easing functions and really make the motion look final in a way. So I think having that kind of two extreme, something you're fast in and something you can really get into the details with is a good way to do it. Um, you can do that with one tool, but I feel like some tools are just so much easier to get started in. It, it might make sense to have two. Right. And the tool totally shapes your output as well, right? Mm -hmm. Like you might have a vision going in, but like a code based tool will suggest a totally different solution than something timeline based, I think. Right. 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 Definitely. And that, I mean, that's the kind of both danger and awesome thing about using something like After Effects, mm -hmm. where After Effects can do like literally anything with animation. And, you know, depending on whether you're making this thing for web or for native apps and depending what platform it's for, the, when it comes to actually coding it and performance considerations, the things you can make in After Effects may not always be a good idea. So you sort of have to have that reality check. But then there's also the, the thing that like if you're working in After Effects, you have everything, like it's a wide open world, you might come up with something way more interesting and that pushes the limits of, of the platform you're using more than if you just started with code. So it's, it's a double-edged sword. It's good and bad, right? You sort of have to keep in mind what it is you're going for as you're, as you're designing. Totally. And, and it's far better to like bring something back down to earth after you've mapped out some extreme possibility rather than, you know, try, trying to maybe incrementally inch your way there too, right? Right, right. Like if you are working with your team and you're like, this is what I would love for it to do. Look at this amazing stuff. And they're like, hey, you know, we tried it. It just doesn't work. And then you can kind of work together to figure out what it's going to be in reality. I mean, that way, I think you can really get to some good solutions. And it's definitely much better than the designer just like throwing an After Effects file over the fence, being like, make it like this or I will hate you, which, totally. you know, 
<laughs> that's not that's never going to get good work in the end. <laughs> right. You you mentioned there something that seems interesting, which is you know taking into account the platform. Are you are you designing for web or for you know a native mobile or something like that? So there's obviously practical things like um, oh that motion blur that you added is not very easy or practically right. done on the web. But are there more are there more fundamental differences between? Um, designing motion for uh, specifically for the web and, and say, touchscreens? I mean, the interaction paradigm is very different in terms of mm -hmm. direct manipulation. H how does that translate into animation differences? Yeah, I mean, it gets really tricky, right? Because, like, there's so many touchscreens out there. You can totally use the web on a touchscreen thing. <laughs> right. But uh, you're right. There are different expectations. Like, if you're creating, like, a drag-and-drop interaction where that could be touch or mouse, whatever, when people are kind of, like, directly manipulating a thing, there's more of an expectation for that kind of real-time feedback, and, and you sort of expect different feedback, right? Like, you don't want to wait until after you've dropped a thing to find out if that was an acceptable place to drop it. You know, when you get to these more complex, like gesture based, um, interactions that you're going to be animating the response to, you know, we have different amounts of feedback and different things will feel right. So I think it's important to, to know which one you're designing for and, and to really like try this stuff out, you know, get to some kind of, even if it's a really bare bones prototype, try things out and see if it does feel like, responsive enough to your input if you're using gestures or dragging or touch input versus clicks. Um, you know, I think we, we have different expectations in those different contexts and something that might feel right with a mouse on a desktop might feel really weird on a mm -hmm. touch screen and maybe mm -hmm. you need to adjust based on that uh, input. Of course, the technical ability to adjust for those doesn't always exist as nicely as we want it to, but you know, it's still a thing to consider and we usually know which one more of our audience is in than the other or something. You, you might be forced to focus on one more than the other. So it's good to keep in mind. It seems like, especially on touchscreen interfaces, uh, I guess because we're so attuned to actually physically manipulating device, you know, objects in mm -hmm. the real world, that if anything is off about the physics of it or the heft feels wrong or the speed, it's it's extra noticeable straight away, right? So it seems yeah. like, the, if anything, the the bar is slightly higher there. It is. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's closer to real life. So you, you kind of like that suspension of belief or disbelief or whatever that saying is like, it's kind of, yeah, it's not quite as much as it would be when you're just like clicking on a desktop and you're like, I know this isn't real. <laughs> I'm Emmett Connolly. I'm talking today with Val Head. She's the author of Designing Interface Animation. So Val, as we mentioned at the beginning, you have just released a new book. What were you aiming for with the book? What were you hoping to accomplish by putting such a, a you know, a deep dive into this one particular aspect of design? Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is I, I'm hoping to help get uh, web folks feel more equipped to tackle these problems and to approach animation as a thing they would design, just like they would design type and color. You know, we kind of have gotten so used to our, our set of design tools, I really wanted to help people see animation as one of those tools, like one of those things we have to solve design problems with in concert with all of our other tools. You know, I really wanted to create a guideline for, for using animation well in interfaces, you know, both in what we use it for and, and how to pull it off well, right? Like you can have animation that's there for a really good reason, but if it looks awful or performs awful, <laughs> it's not good. It's not a good solution. Right. And, and mostly I just feel like we're at this time where we get to define what the next wave of web animation will be, right? Like we all know the skip intro era, that's in the past. 
but what comes next? Like we are in the heart of defining that. And I wanted to help give web designers a tool for tackling that new challenge or defining that new future of web animation, um, you know, in, from a really informed and, and solid place. Because I'm really excited to see where web animation goes. Like, I, we can do so much better than Skip Intro. We can do things differently than native apps can. And I'm not really 100% sure where it's going, but I'm excited to see where things go in the next few years. Well, it certainly um, came across clearly in the end. And, and I'm you glad, know, I'm glad. There are some clear themes. One, one that really jumped out at me is almost, it almost seemed like a, a repeating theme was that of choreography right. um, and UI choreography, which really seems like a new and very rich idea. So I, I just wonder, could you explain what that means in practice and, and why is it so foundational in motion design? Um, yeah, I mean, it's really foundational for, for motion design when it comes to interfaces because you, you never know where someone is going to first jump into your site or jump into your app, right? Like we all know people don't start on our homepage most of the time or whatever else. I guess apps, it's a little more clear, but you're never really sure where they'll start their interaction and, and where they'll start working with, with your interface. And you, know, you want those things to feel, you want your, your interfaces to feel like consistent and feel like they're coming from the same place no matter where you start, whether it's on you know, like step one or step five or like your about page or whatever else. And this sense of UI choreography is kind of like having this overall umbrella to make all of your animations feel like they're coming from the same family, right? Like they have the same point of view, similar aspects to them. So it kind of creates a similar feel throughout the entire site or entire app. So no matter where you start, you know you're in that same place. I think it really comes in handy too for you know responsive web design where you're like, hey, the layout could be totally different <laughs> on a small screen versus a large screen but your motion and your animation can look and feel very similar, and that helps tie those all together. So it's really just the idea of, of keeping that bigger picture in mind, and instead of designing each individual animation in a vacuum, considering how they work together and, and what things they should have in common. And, you know, that really kind of ties back into the idea, like we talked about earlier, of having like some of your own motion design guidelines. Like that's, Those guidelines is what can create that umbrella and, and that, um, that kind of backbone that all your animations pull from. So it's all related. <laughs> totally. It's, it's also really interesting how it almost seems like digital design continues to just pull in references from all over the place, you know, where right. traditionally we borrowed newspaper terms like above the fold and, and things like that, or, or maybe things um, that librarians would have said in terms of organizing co content. <laughs> and now here we are referencing things like um, editors, animators, and even, uh, you know, choreography dancers and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just really interesting to think about where these things are going, going next. Yeah. So, so I'm actually interested do you have any sense in where you know what is the the next frontier for animation in that sense there's potentially a lot of interesting uh, things about to happen in the world of of uh, vr or even ar um do you have any thoughts on how motion design will fit into that oh definitely i mean the whole the vr area especially like that's a whole new world of completely different rules and you know like you were talking about how like animations based on touch input kind of have to feel a little bit more accurate like vr wow that's a whole different place like if you're animating for vr we really are going to have to like create reality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and i think that's a really interesting place because yeah it's virtual reality but 
how much of it is virtual? How much like magic can we apply to this? How much can it be not the exact real world? I think VR is really an interesting place um, to explore. I'm not sure anyone's really figured out what we're going to do with VR exactly, but it's so wide open and so interesting. Like I, I think it's, it's a really interesting space to go into. Um, one other thing I think is going to be maybe even sooner than VR, at least in a, the most practical sense, but who knows, because things happen fast. Um, but also I think sound design is going to be a, an implication for animation in the near future too. You know, we can do sound on the web finally for real too. And, um, you know, when you watch like motion design pieces and titles and things and, the sound really enhances the motion and they work together in like in concert. And I've noticed a lot more apps are using sounds in a, in a very specific kind of way. And I feel like that might be something that's next for web animation as well as like bringing in that sound design aspect to enhance the motion and enhance that, that kind of feedback and that whole context as well. So some really interesting things going on. And, it's an exciting and, time. And yet more to be learned from, you know, <laughs> the people who have worked in these areas for a long time. So yes. it just seems like it continues used to be uh, interesting to to borrow and adapt from from what all those other people have done already. Right. Like everything's been done before, right? We just have to do it differently or better, hopefully. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, that's great. I, look, I think that is as uh, good a place as any to leave it. Wh where could people find out more about you, what you do, your work and so on? Yeah, the best places to, to find out more about me is uh, on my website, which is valhead.com, um, and also on Twitter, where I'm VLH. And uh, yeah, I probably tweet too much about all the things, but that's a, that's a good place to see what I'm up to. People can find your book, Designing Interface Animation, there too, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. There and also on Rosenfeld Media, because uh, their site is, is the best place to buy it. For some reason, Amazon says it's going to take like three days to ship it, but they ship it faster. Not sure what's going on there. <laughs> Cool. Okay, thanks a lot, Val. Thanks so much for having me. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com. <laughs>